0: Everyone's looking for how is the best way to get into commercial property, what you should do when you want to buy your first commercial property, what you should do when you leave your residential property portfolio behind and move into commercial, when you'll buy your first commercial, transitioning into commercial. No one actually ever talks about the don'ts. In fact, all my time recording uh, 300 over 300 YouTube videos and many, many podcasts and interviews and also on our webinars, we never really talked about don'ts. So I thought about it because... When a client's actually really in a deal, in the trenches, in a deal, doing a deal with us, we often tell them what is the rules of engagement. So what is the things you don't do to piss off the other side? What are the things you don't do to make sure that we actually get the final negotiations? And what are the things that you don't do so that uh, at the end, we can all come out win-win from this situation? So there's many, many don'ts, but I've collated them and I thought I want to give you my top five don'ts. So tune into this podcast, My first big don't is don't try to line up your ducks at the same time as getting into a deal. So what does that mean? It means that most of the time you get a contract, the contract have a few things that we need to adjust and amend, but we're not rewriting clauses and leases in a contract. So the aim of the game here is to secure the property, right, as fast as possible, right? So I know that contracts can sometimes take a week and sometimes it will require you to go and uh, like to put the, we need to, sometimes we're physically writing the contract. Sometimes they write a contract and it's complete gobbledygook, and we have to rewrite the contract. But we literally have times where we have clients who say, oh, I want to make sure it's so specified that the tenant has be in operation by the time we settle or in the t- and the tenant might be in a rent free period. I want to make sure that the tenant is paying rent in advance, even though in the lease, it's standard in advance. And we've had times where, and this is what we deal with in the back end. We deal with a lot of don'ts and uh, rather do's. And I want to change these clauses to really make due diligence really stringent to include all these things. The thing is, what you want to do is secure the property as fast as possible. What you don't want to do is tie it up in negotiations between solicitors, which is number one, costing you money. Number two is pissing everybody else off, including the agent, and they're looking for another buyer. You don't want them to give an excuse to look for another buyer. In a market where good properties with good yields you need to fight for, this is a time where you want to secure it under contract as soon as possible so that you don't miss out on the property, right? And sometimes you do all the right things and you still miss out on the property, and that's obviously... not your fault. And we try our best. And sometimes, you know, I always think, did I turn around fast enough? And most of the time, you know, we turn things on pretty fast, but we definitely have clients when it comes to signing contract. See, most of the contract you sign with us are going to be conditional contracts, conditional either on finance or under due diligence or we're going to put something else in so that you have a little bit of a breathing room. So there's going to be valuations or pest and building. So we buy you, try to buy you if it's in New South Wales or central like Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne, somewhere where they'd say, Oh, look, we don't want to give you DD or finance. We try to buy you seven to 10 days anyway. So you've got a bit of breathing room. We just want you to secure the property. If you're in regional areas or anywhere that can negotiate, we try to get you 21 days anyway. So as long as the contract's got some kind of conditions, you can go ahead and sign that contract and then seek to amend and go through it and amend it during the due diligence process. So let's say during DD, you said, look, I found these things that doesn't stack up. Well, we need to amend that. Or during finance, you go, well, the purchase price didn't match with the valuation. We're going to do the renegotiation. But you're not going to be able to get to that point if you don't secure the property. So it's really, really important because we deal with don'ts as much as possible. all the time and one of the other really important things that we don't do is we don't and I know this is probably very intuitive we don't want to come off looking stupid before we even start the process And there's no such thing as stupid questions, but if you want them to rewrite uh, clauses in contracts and you want to renegotiate things, or you want to get really specific and and lawyers and and everything just not into it, and you don't want to be asking for things that's already there. So we had an example of a client who says, I just want to make sure, I I want to specify in the contract, the tenant has to pay one month in advance in rent. Now, in the lease, all standard commercial leases say one month, the tenant needs to pay their rent in advance, right? In one month in advance, they say it in the lease. We pointed out to them, but it's not in the contract. I want to specify in the contract. Now, and I said, I'm not going to do that because we're going to come off looking like we're idiots to start with. Like we didn't know how to read a contract. So what you want to do is when you go into a deal, you want them to perceive you as a professional investor, knowing exactly what you're doing. You don't want to come across green because that's when they start to bullshit you during the due diligence process, right? Because they think they can do that to you. So when we're saying to you, look, Let's keep the clauses really, really wide, like a general clause for due diligence, a general clause for finance, a general clause maybe for you know, pest and building or a general sort of valuation that we can wrap up either in due diligence or as a general clause in there. Or we just say, look at an inspection clause. The reason we keep it so wide is actually for your sake. So later on, because there's nothing specified, we can get into the detail. But what we don't want to come across is so narrow that we lock ourselves in and doing you a disservice. And we don't want to come across as, you know, as idiots that we want all these clauses and pretty much they think, oh, you're too hard based. So we want them to see us easy to deal with, easy to get it to secure a deal, and then we'll sort everything out in the back end. And that's how we sort of approach it. That's the number one big don't. That's my number one big don't. Don't come off as an unprofessional investor. And when you know you've got some someone coaching you. But you know, don't try to line up your ducks before you you sign kind a of contract. The thing is to secure the deal first, and if you don't want the deal, you can withdraw from it in fourteen days or twenty one days. But at least secure the deal. You're not going to know what it is, you know, until you do it, right? Number two, don't is that there is a risk to everything, right? There's a risk to everything, and so this is how it works. It's risk risk versus reward and also it's risk versus security so risk versus reward and security it is always that right risk versus reward and security right? So you got to look at that. What does that mean? It means any transaction, you can't write yourself out of all of the risks, right? And so most people get it wrong and they go, we want to de-risk everything and want this property perfect. And what happens when you may have a property that is perfect is that you pay for it through the returns. The more perfect, more secure it is, the higher you pay in terms of your price point and the lower you get in terms of your returns. So look at a medical center. Everyone wants a medical center. And what happens is because it's ultimately secure, they can ride themselves out of all the risk because the tenant will take care of all the outgoings, the tenants take care of all the maintenance. The tenant is a secure tenant. And what happens is that they ride themselves out of all of the risk, and they get ultra security and they get 45 to 5% yield, and they're not even breaking even, you're negative, right? The whole purpose of purchasing a commercial property and that you're with us here in this community is that you want to take a property that is good, good enough, good enough, that is going to give you the cash flow and the support that you need and you want to make it great in the time you own it, right? And that may be a process for some people that's six months sometimes it's 12. Sometimes it's three years, depending on the tenant. But a good enough property that has the good foundations is going to give you rewards in the future if you know what to do. And you've got that mentorship anyway because you guys are part of this community. It's going to help you tweak it, make it from good to great rather than ride yourself out of that security because the more you do that, that is a big don't. The more you're chasing that, the lower the returns, higher the price point. And that means you get no capital gains in the background or very little, and you get no cash flow. So you're a lose lose situation. So just don't always chase for that. Look at a balance or what your your purpose is, is to buy a good enough property and make it great, the, the process of you owning it. So that's in number two, don't. Number three, don't. It's the mindset of when you invest from residential to commercial is really, really important. One of the big things that we have is people bring their residential into commercial. And that's a big don't because your preconceptions is going to ruin the deal. So don't let your preconception ruin the deal. So, you know, you if you're a resi investor, you might go, well, I need to look at buying this area with this, then what's, you know, where's the schools, where's the hospitals and all of this other stuff, where's all of that going? How much is the value of the residential property that's been sold there? What's the rent on it? And also then it's like, I want to line up my ducks before I get into the deal because you think it's an unconditional contract or, you know, and then there's a few things in terms of how you value the property when you're coming from a residential point of view that is going to ruin the commercial property deal. Things like a lot of people go, well, you know, I don't think cafes are very good. Well, there's been some really great cafes that have survived through COVID that's still doing really well, especially in, especially in suburbia. There've been great businesses that you know, previously people have dismissed. It's going, oh, look, they're a lifestyle business. What would they do? Well, lifestyle business have boomed over the whole after COVID, so you know your bicycle places, even your fishing places, anything, your your yoga places, all of those things are popping up. Your personal fitness and training that doesn't really that same way have now come back into the market much stronger. But a lot of people looking at it from well, how much money are they going to make? So I'm not going to have them as tenants. Is really letting their bias overrun, right? What you need to do is look at the property. Is the property versatile to host from one tenant? to the next one, to the next one. And is that tenant right now good for the property, making, you know, paying rent and have an established there, right? Assess each deal on its merits, right? Like, you know, tomorrow, Greg and Stephen and I are going to go and see a property in Sydney. Now, for those of you who are on this call, the 135 of you that's on this call, we are going to see a supposed 7% yielding property in Sydney. Now, we haven't seen a 7% property in Sydney, like, I don't know, hunt for the unicorn, right? Like, we just haven't seen one since 2019, probably. So does it really exist? We don't know, right? This is a claim that they have on just because they have an advertising on it doesn't mean they they don't, right? So... We have biases from people. The moment we say them, they go, Oh, I'm not sure the tenant mix is really great. It's retail. It's just out. So it's away from that shopping strip. And I'm like, well, you know what? We haven't even seen this property. And we're coming into it with a preconception, with a different mindset. They're like, oh, the demographics over there isn't like it's not like Kensington, you know, it's not like Eastern Suburb. The demographic there's not great. It's like we're making these preconceptions of this property before we haven't even seen it. We're dismissing it, right? There's people, it's like we don't need to do that. What we need to do is going there with a blank state and open minuses, we're going to go and see this property. We're going to see why they're claiming that it is 7%. Is it a 7% gross? Is it a 7% net, right? We're going to find out when we stand there. We're going to see if the tenant's any good. We're going to see if their business is trading. We're going to see if they suit their area. We're going to see how far away they are from the main strip. We're going to see at what point do we get it to a 7% or is it more like a 6% we can engineer to 7%. What can we do to this property, right? And by the way, who, who's interested in the 7% property in Sydney if we found it? If it is happened to be that 7% and, you know, if we can do a deal on a larger, you know, a larger so where we can actually secure the whole property at 7%, you know, I'll make sure I'll get back to you guys. But, you know, I don't promise anything. I basically am not telling people that they are getting a 7%. I'm saying, I'm going to have a look at this property tomorrow. Um, if it is, then I'll come back to you and say, yep yeah, it is. Or what I found in the conditions. So we're still at this point waiting for a contract with the leases in it, but I'm going to go and see it. And that's why the three of us are going to see it because Greg is going to see it from his point of view to see if it's not 7%, can it be 7% with a retenancy, which means that with a good tenancy, you'll get the capital growth. So you're going to see what's wrong with the building, because is it something that is a defect that we need to look at? I'm going to go and see, well, how legit everything is. And I'm going to scout around the area and, you know, and look at it and go, well, if I was an investor, what can I do here, right? So, you know, that is where, you know, and if you guys are interested, you know, we're happy to send you guys an IM as well. So maybe the best thing is, because once we finish here, especially with Zoom users, I don't know who you are. Maybe the best way is, sorry to inconvenience you guys, is that we'll get you to email me and we can send you the IM ones. With, if it looks like it's really good, we'll actually verify that, all of the details, and do some DD to make sure it stacks up before we actually email that out to you guys. So email me and If it's good, legit, we'll get some updated information and we'll tell you how it stacks up and we can have a conversation about it, okay? So that's my number three. Number four for me is on don't negotiate to win, negotiate for win-win, right? So many times we're in due diligence and we go, okay, so there's this list of things that we need to go back to them on and that might be a building issue, that may be a rent issue that they claim to be a different rent, but it's now different. It might've claimed that bonds personal guarantees, or even the price point is at one point and we've got the vow coming in at different points. There might be a whole host of things you want to negotiate on and most people's mindset are like negotiate to win, right? Negotiate to get that you know thing replaced, get that change, get that. My mindset is don't negotiate to win, because there's not a win-lose situation here. It's a win-win situation. It's a deal where they're happy enough to sell. It's a deal where you're happy enough to buy. But the thing is, if you cut it too hard, sometimes it does bite you on the other end. So I had a prime example, one of our clients back and like a couple of years ago, where we basically, he drove the deal too hard and it wasn't we we mentored him through it, drove the deal too hard, and it involved a, a rental guarantee that just ended up not being paid at the other end. And I said, Women at the negotiation, this was too hard a deal, right? So you want to chase a win-win, right? And the way to chase that win-win is if you have a list of items that you need to negotiate, what is your essential non-negotiable top three or five? And what is that once you can forgive, right? And you find out roughly a cost and you start that negotiation. Give them a list. And Then you come down, and you go, This is what we can contend with, this is what we can't, and this is non-negotiable. And let's try to make it work, right? And that's how you win together, right? It's about win-win because win-win means that through the rest of the settlement period, going to be much better providing the rest of the information, they're going to be helpful for you as a as a handover, because there is going to be a handover, and that ultimately everyone walks out of the deal, I guess, happy and, you know, feeling like they didn't get screwed over, which is really important. And we always try to find win-wins in every deal that we do to make sure that our clients and also that the vendor and everybody else comes out of happy and that they didn't get screwed over. Sorry, I'm going to expand on the last one a little bit. Yes. If you think about it, if you're negotiating with a tenant, particularly, you know, if you go too hard, remember they're the ones who are there paying your rent, right? They're the ones we need to get money from. And if you make life a living hell for them, they're not in the future when it comes time to help do little things, they're not going to want to do it. So remember that they're your part of your asset, not just the building. Yes, yes. And, and then number five, and this might seem an obvious don't, and this is a reason why we ended up calling our, our company Unicorn, is because we're like, don't look for the Unicorn, build the Unicorn portfolio instead. So the reason we do that is, you know, people come, oh, go, you're the, your company called Unicorn, so you got to find me the Unicorn. We can actually help you build the Unicorn portfolio, which has always been the philosophy of, you know, having cash flow uplift and growth all in time and building that. And when we look at our syndicated deals and investor we, that's what we also do, but on an individual level, we try to build that for our clients as well. But I found so many clients who want to find the unicorn, so they want the property that has this amazing amount of cash flow, has a back end growth, and they want to be able to uplift it. Well, if it was the one million dollar development potential with a national tenant on a long lease under in Sydney, yielding at seven percent plus, then everyone would be buying it, right? But the thing is, that doesn't quite exist. And we were going to find out tomorrow if it, that one does but in, in real life it doesn't quite exist. The thing is you're better off building the portfolio than searching for it because the more you search for it, you lost your buying power, you lost the returns that you could have had and nothing could make up for lost passive income. Right. So you lose that. And the most important thing is you lose your big picture, right? Because you analysis by paralysis, and you look for all of these things and you are losing sight of your big picture. And that's really that ultimate don't is don't lose sight of that big picture. And in chasing for the unicorn, right, and that's probably the best way to say it is don't lose the big picture in chasing the unicorn. Have your big picture, build a portfolio to match your big picture. So rather than chasing something that doesn't exist, and then you go, "Well, I still have this big picture." This this huge disconnect, right? You got to connect it, and that's what we're really, really good at here. The Unicorn is connecting that whatever you're trying to achieve. So that's one thing really. You know, and I sometimes do come down on our clients, and some of your clients know that I come down on you quite harsh and say, look, that's not realistic. Like for example, now if you say I want a nine percent yielding property, you'll be like, that's in a mining town, right? That's not realistic. Now, if you want to be in a large regional town, that's gonna to be high risk for you. And I think if you're chasing that, that may not be the best thing. If you are regional already, you're living regional yourself or regional Queensland, then I'll be saying, okay, look, these little towns are gonna to work for you because you already have a different risk profile. But if you're Sydney Melbourne, those things are a little bit more high risk, right? So that's where we go, rather than chasing something that you might get burnt, it's better to be chasing, build that portfolio out one by one, right? Hopefully, you've now enjoyed the don'ts that I have on commercial property. Now, they're not an extensive list, and exhaustive list. There is a list when you're property managing. There is a list when you're looking at pest and building report and construction and developing commercial property. There is other lists that other providers like insurance or legal or accounting have all around don'ts and the rules of engagement when you're in a commercial transaction. But I hope you've enjoyed the top five don'ts that I have. But the most important takeaway you should have from this is that in every transaction, in every industry, in every deal that you do, there is a way and a process of doing things. And whether you engage in a professional, whether you try to do it yourself, is worth learning the do's and the don'ts of how you engage because it makes you come across as a more professional investor. And the more professional you are, the more the other side respects you. At the end of the day, a commercial transaction is about win-win, not about win-lose. And it's about you having a bigger, greater mindset. Is about you having strategy. Is about you understanding the foundations of commercial real estate so that everyone's on an equal playing field. And on that note, if you're looking for a company, you're looking for a person or a team to surround you, you're looking for someone to build wealth together through commercial real estate, check us out. Unicorn Commercial Property, Helen Tarrant. Details are in the links below. Make sure you order the book so that you can find out more about commercial property or jump on a strategy session with myself or my team or attend one of our free events or webinars. There's plenty of ways we can help you through commercial property. And also we've got more than 300 videos out there on YouTube you can look at. So all the information you need, just check us out and I'll see you in the next episode.